Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well. I was listening to my friend Lucas's podcast, The Math of You, the other day, which is something you should all do, but he recommended this show called Forged in Fire, and now watching that show is pretty much all I want to do. It's like a cooking show, only instead of risotto, they make swords and knives. And it's fucking rad. It is also surprising and somewhat alarming to me the extent to which anyone who can make anything seems like they can do magic to me. It's made me realize how badly I would do in a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's court type situation. Like, if I was magically transported to medieval times, the times, not the theme restaurant, I think the only really valuable contribution I could make to them would be the basic concept of hygiene, which I'm not saying it's not important, but me going around telling people to wash their hands isn't going to convince anybody I'm a wizard. I mean, I guess if I was specifically transported to the year 1065, I could go up to people who had bows and say, hey, next year those bows are going to be a lot bigger, which I guess might impress some people. But on the other hand, I would be walking around like fucking Hagrid telling people they were wizards if they could do fucking anything. Like, you can make cheese? You're a wizard! You can make a horseshoe out of some hard dirt you found in the ground? You're a wizard! I'd probably just annoy the shit out of everybody. I mean, fortunately, I bet none of them would do anything about it because I'm bigger and stronger than them and I haven't been malnourished my whole life. But but after they left, I bet they'd be like, well, that big, strong, handsome guy with all his teeth. Ugh, wish he'd stop calling me a wizard. In summation, Forged in Fire is a pretty great show. On the episode I watched last night, they tested a sword by shooting it with a gun. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed. Who boy. In the hard-mining regions of comic book fandom, geeks dig beneath characters and settings most random to find what can link them, a mere hint of connection, to conjoin the unlike, an act nerds hold in affection. Yet the links that they find often bid sense adieu. Dorks must find a frame on which the links can accrue. A synopsis is gold, worth the risk of black lung. Prize beyond price. In German, Zasummenfassung. Thanks, Brad. That was a fun word to probably mispronounce. Defenders, number 49, July 1977. Who Remembers Scorpio, Part 2, Rampage. Written by David Anthony Kraft, drawed by Keith Giffen, inked by Mike Royer, lettered by Irv Watanabe and Mike Royer, colored by David Anthony Kraft, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Defensive lineup. The Incredible Hulk. Valkyrie. Nighthawk. Hellcat. Moon Knight. Clea, and the Red Guardian. A little, kind of. Previously in the Defenders. 
After Doctor Strange, Luke Cage, and the Red Guardian quit our titular non-team, billionaire do well bird enthusiast Kyle Richmond, aka Nighthawk, assumed that as the only white guy left on the team, he was the new leader of the Defenders. The entitled avian aficionado moved the gang's base of operations to the abandoned riding academy on Long Island, which he had previously purchased to hit on Valkyrie. The relocation got off to a rocky start, for no sooner had our heroes arrived at their new bucolic base than its security was immediately compromised by the arrival of a sartorially scarlet supervillain named Scorpio. Scorpio, aka Jake Fury, the evil brother of super spy Nick Fury, had an astrological motif, a magical nonsense weapon called the Zodiac Key, and most implausibly of all, a desire to talk to Kyle Richmond. His astrological research had led the crimson-clad creep to conclude that this was the place he would encounter the petulant plutocrat, so Scorpio was understandably confused to be confronted instead by a quartet of costumed crime fighters. A scuffle ensued and Scorpio fled. The Hulk decided that he was once again tired of the Defender's bullshit, so he leaped away, declaring as he did so his intention to take a day off to do something fun. Bye, the Hulk! Meanwhile, it turned out that apparently Jake wasn't the only Fury brother with questionable taste in conversational companions, because across town, Nick Fury was attempting to track down Jack Norris, the estranged husband of Barbara Norris, whose body was the host of the sorcerously created persona, Valkyrie. Nick finally caught up with a matrimonially-minded meathead and knocked him out by shooting him in the head with a laser gun. Hooray! The lunar-themed vigilante Moon Knight happened to be nearby and disapproved of what he saw as excessive force, so he swung by and intervened, forcing Fury and his cronies to leave empty-handed. Moon Knight took Jack to meet up with a defender so that the boundary-bereft blowhard could angrily demand their assistance. Unfortunately for Norris, soon after he concluded his petulant pleas for pity, our heroes received a call from Nick Fury, who as commander of the foremost international espionage agency in the world, asked that they hand over Jack as a matter of international security. After a few seconds of probably performative hand-wringing, our pragmatic protagonist complied with Fury's request. The head of S.H.I.E.L.D. picked up his canubially confused captive, who, upon taking a momentary break from wallowing in self-pity, was surprised to find himself being transported not to S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, but to the villainous Scorpio's secret lair. It turned out that Nick Fury had been taking orders from his evil brother all along. I thought those guys hated each other. Once Jack was in his custody, Scorpio repeatedly offered him beer and attempted to bond with his hostage over their shared love of whining and mutual inability to take responsibility for their lives. Jack belligerently refused to accept Jake's proffered hospitality, so the astrologically obsessed antagonist switched gears to the more traditional supervillain tactic of delivering contextually unnecessary exposition. To summarize his soliloquy, Scorpio felt like society was dumb and bad, so the Fury Brothers have been building a giant machine that can create new life forms based on the Zodiac that Scorpio can be the boss of. He wanted to intimidate Kyle Richmond into giving him money to complete his project, but when the Defenders intervened, he moved on to Plan B, which was to kidnap Jack. Scorpio's astrological research had revealed that Kyle and Jack were acquaintances, so the arguably eviler Fury brother figured that Richmond would probably pay a ransom for Norris's release. Interesting assumption! The Vermilion villain was forced to stop engaging in extracurricular exposition because some alarms were going off. Ever distrustful of authority, Moon Knight had been suspicious and followed Nick Fury to Scorpio's lair. Hooray! Then he fell into a death trap and seemed certain to die. Oh no! Then he escaped somehow and fled. Hooray! Unperturbed by this disturbance, Scorpio placed a call to Kyle Richmond, demanding that the wealthy wastrel pay him $500,000 for the release of Jack Norris. 
Forced to choose between his hatred of Jack Norris and his love of being financially irresponsible, Kyle eventually agreed to pay the ransom, saying that his good buddy Nighthawk would be making the drop on his behalf. After creepily watching his female teammates sleep for a few minutes, Kyle changed into his spandex, grabbed a briefcase full of money, and headed to the rendezvous with his ransomer. When he arrived, Scorpio startled the briefcase-bearing bird-beaked billionaire by revealing that much like two-thirds of the Marvel Universe, he had figured out Kyle Richmond's secret identity. The astrologically astute archfiend grabbed both the money and the alter-ego-inept affluent aviator and teleported them both back to his hideout. Gadzooks! Now that Kyle is captured, how will the defenders possibly function without a mega-rich vigilante who gets stronger at night? After spending the better part of an issue delivering unprovoked exposition, what will Scorpio do for phase two of his sinister scheme? And what activities does the Hulk have planned for his fun day off? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so luckily, they have a spare. You guessed it, more unprovoked exposition. And he eats an entire turkey in the park. Nice. After escaping from Scorpio's death trap, Moon Knight heads off to warn the Defenders that the Fury Brothers appear to be working together for some nefarious purpose. He's not sure where the Defenders are hanging out these days, so he goes to the last place he met up with them, Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctimonious. Clea offers to use her mystical call-forwarding powers to contact Val and Hellcat and let them know what's up. The lunar-loving former mercenary waits down on the sidewalk for his new allies to arrive, probably because the last time he showed up to the Sanctum, he brought a Jack Norris with him, and now Wong probably won't let him inside. I get it. It's like the uninvited guest equivalent of showing up to a potluck with half a loaf of Wonder Bread and a jar of poop. Over on Long Island, Val and Hellcat are just waking up. Hellcat has somehow managed to explode a pot of coffee when Clea's disembodied floating noggin shows up and requests that they head down to Greenwich Village because Moon Knight would like a word with them. While our heroes are busy playing Sorceress Phone Tag, Scorpio figures that, now that he has twice as many prisoners, he'd better double the amount of unsolicited exposition he provides. What a good host. Aided by a barrage of editorial asterisks, Scorpio fills in his hostages, and by proxy us readers, on a bit more of his backstory. Turns out, there used to be a different bad guy named Scorpio, but he died and dropped the Zodiac Key. Jake Fury found it and decided to be the new Scorpio. He and his brother Nick tried to kill each other a couple of times, and during one of those tussles, Nick ended up gaining possession of the key. Then he lost it. The mysterious extra-dimensional MacGuffin bounced around the Marvel Universe for a couple of years, falling in and out of possession of various heroes and criminals, until eventually it fell out of the sky and landed on a drunk guy's head. The drunk guy pawned for a dollar, then went to a nearby bar and bragged about his financial windfall to a fellow inebriate, who coincidentally happened to be an incognito Jake Fury. Amazed at his good fortune, Jake purchased the key for his song and decided to reassume his Scorpio identity. Having regained his power, Scorpio decided on an interesting course of action. He had always had difficulty getting along with people, so the obvious solution was that he should create some new people that he could control. Huh. I think my dad had the same plan. Jack isn't super impressed with Scorpio's story and expresses his derision with typical Jack Norris diplomacy. So Scorpio yells about his feelings and smacks the crap out of him. Hooray! Meanwhile, in Russia, Tanya Belinsky, a.k.a. the Red Guardian, arrives at the Moscow airport. A KGB guy picks her up and is like, 
We are knowing that you are the Red Guardian. Well, shit. Outside the Sanctum, Moon Knight meets up with Val and Hellcat. By now, Kyle's been gone for a few hours, so everyone correctly assumes that he has been kidnapped, because that's kind of his thing. I just hope he remembers to hang on to his brain this time. Maybe he could put one of those electric key finders on it? Val figures that if they're going to have a dust-up with the Fury Boys, she'd like it if the Defenders had the Hulk with them. Clea apparently used her magic to inform her of Hulk's location, and also offered to watch Val's flying horse for a while while she's off adventuring. Gee, for a character who only appeared in one panel as a disembodied head, Clea is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of keeping the plot moving forward in this issue. The trio of temporary non-teammates hop in a taxi and head to Central Park, where they find that the Hulk is enjoying his day off. The Jade Giant has interrupted some picnickers who fled the park, leaving behind an entire roasted turkey. Damn! Bringing a whole turkey to a picnic is a baller move. I know that the Hulk is the Hulk and all, but I think even if I was huge green and could lift a small moon, I'd still be hesitant to mess with a family that has that kind of dedication to alfresco dining. Who knows what they're capable of? The Hulk makes short work of his purloined poultry and is about to tuck into dessert when Valkyrie taps him on the back and is like, Hulk, come with us right now. It's an emergency. Hulk replies reasonably, Go away. It Hulk's day off. Hulk needs some Hulk time. Hellcat chimes in with, But Hulk, Nighthawk needs you. Bad move, Patsy. Hulk's like, Fuck that guy. Fair enough. At this point, Valkyrie decides on a course of action straight out of the Dr. Stephen Strange playbook. She kicks the Hulk in the butt with the hopes of enraging the Emerald Avenger to the point that he chases her. Damn it, Val! The big galoot just wanted a day off! For good or ill, the plan of poking the angry green bear seems to more or less work. Hulk gets super pissed off and starts chasing the other heroes towards Scorpio's lair. Unfortunately, Unlike when Steve used to taunt the bounding behemoth into following him, Val and her compatriots are not using their astral forms to pester the Hulk, and thus are vulnerable to physical attacks from the object of their manipulative bullying. Hurt and confused by his former friend's actions, the Hulk destroys a not insignificant amount of New York City as he pursues his trio of tormentors, forcing them to seek refuge in the Holland Tunnel. Back in his hideout, Scorpio continues smacking Jack Norris around. Hooray! Also, he decides to turn his people-making machine on, even though as he does so, he whines that it isn't really ready yet. Also, also, he casually mentions that the Nick Fury that's been helping him with his plans isn't the actual Nick Fury, but is in fact a robot that he found while he was sneaking around S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters a while ago. Man, between cosmic-powered extra-dimensional weapons and advanced robot versions of his brother, Scorpio sure finds a lot of neat stuff lying around. I can identify. Earlier this week, I found a flask full of an unidentified booze in my works lost and found. So, you know, pretty much the same thing. Valkyrie, Moon Knight, and Hellcat are still trapped inside the Holland Tunnel as a rampaging Hulk waits outside for them to emerge. Fortunately, the gang has really traded up in terms of mega-rich vigilantes who get stronger at night. Moon Knight calls his helicopter pilot Frenchie to come and pick them up and then fly in an erratic pattern to evade the Hulk as they continue to lead him towards Scorpio's lair. Neat! Having Moon Knight around is like seeing into a topsy-turvy alternate universe where Kyle Richmond is good at his job and not an asshole. Bizarro Nighthawk's plan more or less works, but 
As the copter nears its destination, the Hulk catches up, and with a mighty leap, the bounding behemoth grabs hold of the vehicle's tail. In a last-ditch effort to save the chopper and its passengers from the Hulk's wrath, Hellcat manages to throw the gamma-radiated picnic pilferer off balance and knock him from the moonmobile. The Hulk tumbles through the air and lands, angrier than ever, smack in the middle of Scorpio's base, confronted by Scorpio himself and the freshly minted members of the unhinged astrologist's new team, the New Zodiac. I don't have to read my horoscope to predict that this situation is going to result in smashing. Hooray! To be concluded. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I am doing okay. Feeling on the mend from my previous infirmity. Good. Yeah, it is good. Nice to not feel like garbage. Although, not as good at doing the James Earl Jones voice anymore. Trade-offs, man. Life's all about it. Yeah, I don't care for it. Trade-offs? Nope. Good. Not my favorite. I want all of everything. That would be too much. Mm, I'm willing to take that risk. Okay. All of everything. (laughs) Coming up. Hooray! So, what'd you think of this comic? Uh, pretty good. I felt real bad for the Hulk. I did too. Poor fella. He just wanted to go to sleep, wake up, and do something fun. It was his whole plan from the previous issue. Ah, well, the best laid plans of mice and the Incredible Hulk often end in, uh, smashing? Mice don't smash very well. Well, no, they receive a smashing, though. Oh, touché. A lot of times, right? That's what people do. They see a mouse. They just, they just smash. smash it. They just smash in general. Yeah. Like a bull in a china shop. These are the days of our lives. Yep. Like the old saying goes. Yep. <laughs> as the world turns. Ah, uh, Santa Barbara. After that, you have to go to the general hospital. Oh, indeed. Indeed. What a pair we make. The bold and the beautiful. <laughs> I'll leave it to you to decide who's who. To me? Yeah. Oh, half a one. <laughs> Six dozen of the other? Oh, that's not how it goes. <laughs> oh, no. This is horribly mismatched. We're terrible at metaphors. Let's start over. Okay. What'd you think of this comic? <laughs> not a ton happened in this comic, except for we had an absolute avalanche of expositional asterisks. And how? I had talked about in the Conway issues, we had a lot of asterisks in that. And I think that was, we had like eight discrete asterisks. This issue had 12. That's a lot of asterisks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I kind of get it. I didn't find it distracting in the same way as I did in the previous issue. Basically, what happens in this issue is the defenders who haven't been captured by Scorpio trick the Hulk into chasing them. And then at the very end of the issue, Hulk is in Scorpio's lair and is about to smash. That's pretty much it, right? Pretty much. We get like two panels of what uh, Tanya Bolinsky, the Red Guardian, is up to in Russia. Mm-hmm. She gets in a car. Mm-hmm. And other than that, that really, like in terms of plot, is almost all that there is. What there is a lot of is Scorpio explaining almost just how this Defender storyline fits in 
with the rest of the Marvel Universe and stuff that's happened before and is happening concurrently. So it's almost like just like a housekeeping issue in a lot of ways. But I think that there's some nice character building done within it. And I loved the artwork in this issue. Yeah, it was pretty smooth. We did get um, a couple callbacks to the last issue with beer and age references. Indeed. From Scorpio. Yep. Or actually, no, it was who somebody else wanted a beer. Jack well, Norris. Jack Norris wanted one of Scorpio's beers, but also Scorpio did talk about drinking beers. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, consistent characterization of Scorpio as a man who enjoys beer. Mm-hmm. He also is finally sick of Jack Norris's shit and starts smacking him around a little bit and choking him. That is a hell of a backhand. It really is. It knocks him literally sideways. I should not be applauding that treatment, but... I did. It made me very happy. <laughs> no, it's not a nice way to treat people, but... No, especially when they're your guest. But it's Jack or Norris. Or hostage. But it's Jack Norris, so I was okay with it. So, we also learned in this issue, I think, how Mooney, which is how Hellcat calls him, which I think is pretty cute. There are a couple of fun nicknames for Moon Knight in this. I like that uh, the Hulk calls him Moon Man. Moon Man is good. But we learn, I think, how he escapes the oubliette trap. I don't think we did learn that, did we? Okay, good. I was confused. I read through. I thought I had missed it. No, he explains that he couldn't call Frenchie before to rescue him from that situation because he didn't get a chance to fix his walkie-talkie with Frenchie until he was waiting outside of Doctor Strange's house for Hellcat and Valkyrie to show up. That's a handy fellow. It is odd, the transportation choices that they all chose, because... When they arrive, like when they meet up at the Sanctum or outside the Sanctum, because I guess Clea didn't want to let him inside, which I get. Last time Moon Knight showed up, he brought a Jack Norris with him. So, boo. Maybe Wong remembers that and is just like, yes, you don't appear to have a Jack Norris with you, but why don't you wait outside just in case Mm -hmm. and think about what you did and why it was wrong. But what's odd is Valkyrie points out that they can't all three of them ride Aragorn. So they decide to take a taxi doesn't seem to occur to any of them that they could all take Moon Knight's helicopter at that point, because at that point he has fixed his little radio. And it also doesn't occur to them that they could just split up and meet up later. Yeah, that is one logical little bit of a a wrinkle or a conundrum, like, hey, why didn't they just do the simple thing? The thing in this comic that strained my credulity beyond repair was how serendipitously... Scorpio came into the possession of the cosmic key or whatever that thing's called. I loved that so much. My notes said, what are the odds? (laughs) I don't have my calculator, Corey, but I would have to say 100%. So, yeah, what you're referring to is the fact that the Zodiac key (laughs) is hanging out in another dimension. Mm -hmm. And then it just falls through the air, lands on a drunk guy's head. That drunk guy goes to the pawn shop. Sells it for a dollar, mm-hmm. and then goes to a bar to talk about how he found a device that he sold for a dollar in the bar where Scorpio was going to drink his beer. Mm-hmm. And Scorpio's like, oh shit, I bet I could get that for five dollars. And that's how he got the Zodiac key back. Yeah, that's a little too neat for my taste. I think it's awesome. 
Mm. I agree that it is somewhat implausible, but like what you got on it's a hundred percent implausible. Corey, he's odds. been studying astrology for years now, and he knows all the ins and outs of fortune, and that's how he was able to figure out Nighthawk's secret identity because his sign chart—that's what they call him, right? Mm-hmm. His astrological sure. star chart yep. told him he was going to meet up with Kyle at a certain location. And when he went there, Nighthawk was there. So at first he's just like, I don't get it. But then he's like, oh, that must be Kyle. Mm. And so, I mean, there is something to his astrology that he's been able to figure out. So maybe he was able to, you know, read the signs and it told him like, go to this bar at this time. I would in fact hazard the guess that most of Scorpio's interpretations of his astrological star chart is him being told to go to bars at various times and drink beer. Mm -hmm. And that one time it happened to work out pretty good for him. 100% (laughs) implausible. Let's talk about a little bit of the rest of his backstory that is revealed in this. It mentions that in Sergeant Fury and his Howlin' Commandos number 69, Mm -hmm. nice, that he had tried to join the army. And and you had a question about that. Yeah. So he says, yeah, the reason I did this is because I, you know, kind of wanted to follow in my brother's footsteps and join the army. But then it was a horrible experience and something bad happened to me. And the artwork is really confusing with this because there's like ostensibly his arm in a shower reaching for a bar of soap. And then the kind of panel that's attached to that is like a weird outline of him as Scorpio. But anyway, it implies something bad happened to him in the shower at the army yes but that is not what happened in uh issue 69 nice of sergeant fury and his howling commandos what happened in that issue is that nazis had a plan to get to nick fury by taking out his family and so the nazis kidnapped scorpio or Jake Fury, as he was known at the time. And once he saw how bad the Nazis were, he was galvanized into action and decided to join the army. Once he joined the army, then some bad shit happened to him, which it doesn't get into the details of, and there's actually a pretty specific reason about that, but I would like to wait to discuss that until after the next issue because it makes more sense in the context of what unfolds later. Okay. Sorry to be so cryptic. That's... Very cryptic, but okay. You can examine your astrological star charts and see what it says you should do. Because if anything will solve a cryptic situation, it's my star charts. So you're a cancer, right? Mm-hmm. I just consulted it, and according to this chart that I cribbed off of Scorpio, it says you should drink some beer. Ooh, child. <laughs> so I mentioned that I liked the artwork in this. And I do. It's a huge improvement, in my opinion, from the last issue. The last issue was inked by Dan Green, who I was pretty harsh on. That is because the last issue looked bad. I will say, some people have contacted me and told me that they like a lot of what Dan Green did later on. He was an X-Men inker for a long time and worked pretty well on that. I think, first of all, anybody's going to look bad in comparison to Klaus Janssen. Klaus Janssen's just a wonderful inker. Second of all, I think it was a rushed issue. And third of all, you see what kind of was happening in that was that Keith Giffen was going for a Jack Kirby style pastiche, almost an homage to Jack Kirby. And it was just not being executed well in the finishing. In this issue, 
The inker is a guy named Mike Royer, who I love, who was Jack Kirby's primary inker during the 70s. And so this issue reads like a Kirby pastiche done incredibly well. And it really does let you know how much an inker like Mike Royer brings to the table. He's one of my favorite Kirby inkers. Uh, I would put him up there with uh, Joe Sinnott. Just really cool looking, really dynamic, really stylized stuff. You had said that you thought you you appreciated that it made uh, Kyle look uglier. Well, Kyle and Nor actually everybody's got kind of a their head shape is more compressed. That's kind of a Kirby hallmark. That there there are some of the things the the opening panel when I first saw it. It's a picture of Moon Knight. It's a splash page, and it absolutely looks like Kirby's New Gods work, which was what Mike Royer used to work on, and. In subsequent panels, when there are people that are out of costume, those are really Kirby-esque touches on the faces. And you're right, it is different looking from standard house style at Marvel, but it's something that I've really come to appreciate, so I was really stoked to see all of that stuff. And we finally find out why Scorpio has the bottom part of his face a different color. Why is that? Because he's putting some weird stuff on it that makes it that color. Oh, yeah. I guess he just thinks it uh, it makes a nice contrast to have the uh, bronze skin with the red costume. Do you think it is just like a bronzer, like yeah. tanning lotion that he's putting on? Yeah. We see before that when Nick Fury dressed up as Scorpio, that is kind of part of the Scorpio costume, apparently. Although when Nick Fury was doing it, it looks more red. That so looks more of a sunburn than a, a tan. I wonder if that's how the rest of the guys from the Zodiac found him out. Hmm. Hmm. Scorpio uses a different bronzer than that. Mm-hmm. Nice try, Nick Fury. Let's talk a little bit about Hulk's big day out and how his fun day went awry and what maybe the first half of it looked like. So, first of all, you feel bad for, for people in the in the Marvel world because they don't really ever get the chance. Like, if you saw Hulk at a park, you'd probably be like, oh my god, Hulk, you're really cool. I think you're great, right? Uh, maybe. Or would you just be terrified and be like, ah, Hulk is going to smash everything and run away like these people? I think I would probably be terrified and run away. Oh, that's too bad. It is too bad. I'm sorry. Because the people who were attending what I can only guess is the Jim Croce Memorial Barbecue. See, I was wondering, because we see that the the picnic is the R-O-C-H-E, and we don't see what the first half of the word is, annual... Picnic. I was wondering if it was the Lyndon LaRouche annual picnic, or perhaps Zach De La Rocha's seventh birthday annual picnic. Man, that's a heck of a birthday picnic. You get a whole turkey. Uh-huh. It's a great birthday picnic. Also, maybe it's a combined event, and much like the Elephant Man, uh, the mythos behind him is that his mother was scared of an elephant. If perhaps Zach De La Rocha's origin was that... Uh, his family was frightened by Lyndon LaRouche followers. Or by Jim Croce. Less likely the second option. I don't think he's terribly scary. No, but it could be that his musical style is developed in reaction counter to Jim Croce's. Uh, that's why he's like, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Yes. Jim Croce. Exactly. They okay. cut that part of it out. Uh-huh. He's like, I will tug on Superman's cape. <laughs> I will mess around with Jim. Jim Croce, that is. Oh. He's going to mess around with him. Damn. So, yeah, anyway, Hulk's at this, <laughs> this picnic. And uh, 
It is quite a spread. There's a large bowl of what I assume are just like peeled boiled potatoes. There's I thought maybe they were just charcoal briquettes. A whole turkey. Mm-hmm. A pitcher or of Kool-Aid. A big pitcher of, yep, probably Kool-Aid. Looked uh, pretty good. Pretty sumptuous picnic. No beans. I know. Although it did not take, man. He I ate was... the whole bird. He denuded the bones on that turkey in seconds like he was a piranha. Mm. Big green piranha. Yeah. He skeletonized that turkey like a piranha would a cow. Probably a whole school of piranhas. It would take a lot. They're, they're a very tiny fish. I would like to see a piranha eat a cow. Just one piranha. It would take so long. <laughs> it would be, be so boring. He would be so full. It's, it not, would be like that thing in The one, Little Prince in, in where, where like the snake eats the thing and then he looks like a hat. No, it would not be like that. I think it might be. That's not how it works. But, regardless, I wonder if the first half of the Hulk's day, because he decided he was going to go to sleep, wake up in the morning, and do something fun. Right. Now, we assume that the fun thing that he does is decide to go to the picnic. I wonder if before that, he just watched a bunch of Hanna-Barbera cartoons and was just like, oh, that Yogi Bear seems to have it all figured out. You go, you steal picnic food? That's a fun day. Hmm. So maybe, like, initially he was like, all right, flipping a coin, am I going to go steal some picnic foods? Or am I going to assist some teens in solving a crime with, with a magical talking being? Like, you know, a shark who plays drums or a 18th century ghost or a talking car. Are those Yogi Bear references? No, those are Hanna-Barbera cartoon references. Like, you got the Scooby-Doo knockoffs. Like, you had Jabber Jaws. You had the Funky Phantom. You had Speed Buggy. It's all groups of teens who solve mysteries aided by a magical being who can inexplicably uh, communicate with them. I don't have a recollection of any of these shows. You don't remember Speed Buggy? No. You don't remember Jabber Jaws? I don't think so. He played drums in a band called the Neptunes. He was a shark who sounded like Curly from the Three Stooges. Okay, as I'm saying this, I realize that it sounds <laughs> you ridiculous. Made that up. I am I did not make that up. I promise you. Okay. Well. We will watch Jabberjaws cartoons later, but I did not make them up. And I did not make up the funky phantom either. Alright. I sense another Patreon episode in the works. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I uh, I swear all of those shows are real. Anyway, the Hulk decided to emulate his new hero, Yogi Bear. The Hulk, I think, is also smarter than the average bear. Bears are pretty dumb. I like bears. I'm terrified of bears. I couldn't outfight a bear, but I think I could outthink most bears. And I think the Hulk could, too. I suppose you're right. I guess if you can fool an animal like that by... Are they the ones where... I guess it depends on the kind of bear, if you're supposed to stand up real tall and be like, I'm scary. Or uh, I think that's just cougars. That's just cougars. That's not bears. No, no. Cougars are the ones that you're supposed to hold a baby on your head. And look as big as you can because their enemies in nature are baby-headed monsters. Huh. I thought bears were scared bears? of those too, but not all bears, just like some kinds of bears. The bear advice that you get on how to avoid bear attacks is, it's longitude. It's all over the map. I think that half of it is propaganda spread by bears. So Because some of it is just like, oh, you should make yourself small and lie down and pretend that you're dead. And they might maul you a little, but they'll probably leave you alone. Some of the advice is to just, like, try to confront the bear and prove to it that you're a threat. 
Some of it is like, make eye contact. Some of it is back away slowly. Some is make a lot of noise. Some is be quiet. Like, I'm surprised that some of the advice isn't just like, coat yourself in honey and uh, strap a picnic basket to each arm. That sounds really inconvenient. Well, I'm just saying, I think that the bears are the people that are behind half of the advice that you get on how to avoid bear attacks. So it may be a public service to start like a human approved how to avoid bear attacks. <laughs> right. Have uh, some kind of like a Metacritic filtering process that would exclude feedback from bears. Yeah, I don't know what that word means, but it sounds good. Thanks. It's a it's a review site. About bears? No, about stuff in general. Oh. Okay. It's a review site that you have to pay. I think it's it's a really cheap fee. It's like a dollar or two. But once you do, then you get to send reviews on things, which actually does make it a much better curated site than a lot of the free review sites because a lot of people are interested in being an asshole on the internet, but a much smaller percentage of people are interested in paying a dollar to be an asshole on the internet. That is a good point. All right. So I just still don't know how they would filter bears out hmm. who got their hands on the dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, that might right there be uh, how they do it. Credit Bear, bears are financially insolvent in general. In general, yeah. So <laughs> it, you would have to publicly source the information, but you would have to do it from donors that are paying to tell people how to avoid bear attacks. Yes. Oh, man. We're going to make I so like, much money putting I, this together. I feel like there might be bear lobbyists, though. I mean, maybe if you have to click a button that says... I mean... It's my understanding that if somebody is a bear mm -hmm. and you ask if they're a bear, they have to tell you. Nope. Because otherwise You've it's You've been entrapment. talking to Gary. I'm pretty sure. It's cops only, man. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Well, anyway, I think probably the Hulk had a pretty good first half of his day watching cartoons. Pretty good small percentage of his day eating a whole turkey. And then the Defenders show up and just fucking ruin it. Very disappointed. Very disappointing behavior from Valkyrie, I must say. Mm. It seems as though she just dives right into the Stephen Strange approved method of coercing the Hulk. Like, in their very first encounter, he shows up in ghost form and is just like, Hey, behemoth, this way, without even trying to talk or reason with him. Mm-hmm. Val barely pays any lip service to trying to reason with the Hulk before just diving right in with the, well, kick him in the butt, get him mad, and then he'll chase me. Yeah, effective, but unnecessary. I think she's demonstrated in the past that she fully has the ability to communicate with him and, and help him see logic in situations. I agree. I wonder to what extent the issue is Kyle. Well, Kyle's an asshole. Kyle is the outlier here, for sure. How does... Because the thing that she's used before that's almost always effective is like, hey, your friends are in danger. He's like, oh, I like I like friends. And she's like, Kyle needs your help. And he says, <laughs> oh. bird nose is always fucking everything up, or whatever it is he says. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good point. Yeah, I had wondered if perhaps it was just, uh, you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and with uh, Doctor Strange not on the team anymore, there is a partial asshole vacuum. Um, <laughs> I feel like... This is I, okay, first, that's a dangerous it's, phrase. It's, not, I, 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 it's also not the first time that it's come up on this show. Asshole vacuums? I don't think so. You, you're saying that there's a chance this show is prolapsed. <laughs> <laughs>
But maybe just like, well, Val was picking up stuff at the Sanctum earlier. She saw like Doctor Strange's copy of Dale Carnegie's How to Make Friends and Influence People that had his notes all scribbled out where it's just like half the stuff is crossed out. And it's like everyone's favorite sound is the sound of their own name. So say their name as much as you can. And you see that he's just scribbled that out and written in the word, everyone's favorite noise is the sound of my voice and the word behemoth. That sounds pretty strange Yeah. I think maybe uh, she got her hands on that terribly annotated copy of How to Make Friends and Influence People. I do want to pin this one on Strange because it's just, I don't like seeing Val act like this. I, I don't either. It, it's unfortunate. Also... They think Hulk is too stupid to meet them at the end of the uh, the traffic tunnel. Yeah. And he figured that one right out. He did. So. Thank- thankfully, Moon Knight was able to uh, navigate their way through that with the help of his friend Frenchie. Man, Frenchie can fly a chopper. He sure can, and even in a wildly erratic pattern. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know much about choppers, but I hear that. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Corey. I did watch a lot of uh, Airwolf as a kid. I think that is a wonderful documentary. And uh, you can learn a lot about helicopters from that. Heck, I could probably fly one erratically. I bet you could. You could be a real Ernest Borgnine. Or Jan Michael Vincent. Thanks. I don't remember which one flew the helicopter. Probably Borgnine was like the mechanic or something. That seems like his deal, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd see he's more of a mechanic guy than a pilot guy, I guess. Jan Michael Vincent was definitely like the hero of that show, right? I don't know which one Jan Michael Vincent was. Mm, he was the 80s looking guy in the world. Oh, pilot. Yeah. One other thing that threw me about this issue when I was reading it was an offhanded comment that Hellcat makes in which we find out that the last six issues of this book have all taken place in one day. She mentions, like, it seems like just yesterday I was fighting the Hulk in Central Park. And Valkyrie's like, that was just yesterday. And the little asterisk says, issues 44 and 45. And I was like, so the last six issues of this book have all taken place within a single day. And I think I understood that at some point, that that was kind of supposed to be the case. But it feels like that is an insane compression of a ton of events happening in that time. And there's such a disconnect with the book coming out once a month. And the comic book to real world time correspondence, it fucked with me so bad when I read that sentence. Yeah, it's good not to not to think about that stuff, you know, or as little as possible. It does explain why Hellcat needed to make such a giant thing of coffee. <laughs> She's probably pretty tired. She is tired enough that she decides to try to make coffee in a pressure cooker, I think? I, yeah, that's my only, I mean, it, there are those... Stovetop ones that work like that, but it's huge. Yeah, she's only making coffee for herself and Valkyrie, too. Mm-hmm. So that's a, been a hell of a week. It has been a hell of a week. It's been and a six-issue week. A six-issue day. That's the thing. Not a week. A day. Oh, man. It's been a six-issue day. So that's like a 30-issue week? The whole series probably has taken place in less than two weeks. What? That's exhausting. Yeah. No wonder... Hulk and Namor kept quitting. Yeah. Although that does mean that their schedule of quitting when coming back was probably like three, four times a day. Dang. Another reason why Hellcat is maybe so tired is I bet she didn't get a very good night's sleep. She talks about the fact that both she and Valkyrie slept in their uniforms and they're feeling grungy from it. 
And she has a line where she says something like, I'm feeling kind of grungy from sleeping in my outfit overnight, if you know what I mean. And Valkyrie's like, yes, I do, but we have to go. Mm -hmm. I think the reason she had to sleep in her outfit and she's looking for some kind of confirmation on that from Valkyrie is because she's freaked out that Kyle kept watching her sleep. And so she's like, yeah, I had to sleep in my outfit. I can't fucking change out of this thing because Kyle has this whole place fucking rigged. We saw in the last issue, he's coming in and fucking peeking at me while I'm sleeping and thinking, oh, she looks pretty hot. Shame I got to go to the bank like a fucking creeper. And Val's response is just like, yes, uh, Kyle is a fucking creep. We have to keep our costumes on at all times. Sorry, but we're busy now. Uh, I fucking hate Kyle. That is disappointing. But I mean, what? No, it's, I didn't. I think I, it's good advice. I somehow didn't make that connection, but it makes perfect sense now that you think about it. I don't know why else she would be saying that. Yeah, why else would you have to sleep in it? Maybe I, it's like really hard to take on and take it off. It does look like it's probably pretty difficult to get on and off. <laughs> were you there when I tried on that wetsuit? No, I don't think you were. I don't think I was. Man, it was too small. Oh. And also, wetsuits are really hard to get on and off. <laughs> How long did you wear it for? Uh, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe? Oh, not a couple days. You didn't have to yeah, sleep Yeah, Jack in Norris it. wasn't around. Oh, that, okay, fair enough. That was actually Kyle, though, that was creepy. I mean, Kyle, it's it's hard to... I I know. It's, uh, it's, it's a real rich asshole, poor asshole situation. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a self-help book about that. Yeah, yeah. Rich dick, poor dick. I'm better. <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> All right, you ready to drink this mystery shot? Yep, here's the self-help. Ah, here's to drinking liquor that we find. It was in a container. It wasn't just like a... It wasn't a handful glass of it. Glass of That's fair. Or a bowl. <laughs> um, yeah, we are drinking liquor from a flask in a lost and found. Good luck. Likewise. And good luck to you listening to this show. It's <laughs> not bad. It's not bad. Would you go so far as to say, it's good? It's good! And if you're listening, booze purveyors, that mystery liquor we found on a lost and found could be yours. <laughs> One of the things we find out in this issue is uh, we do get confirmation of the theory that the Nick Fury that we've been seeing in this issue is a robot. Not only a robot, but a very specific kind, a life model decoy. Yes. And I kind of like the weird relationship that Scorpio has with this robot of his brother. I also found it strange in a way that, and maybe there's a reason for this in backstory, that Jack Norris immediately knew or just chose to use the abbreviation LMD for Life Model Decoy. Yeah, I don't know how publicized the existence of life model decoys are within the marvel universe or if maybe it was when he was trying to set up shop as a freelance spy he did some research about shield and or just read some fan fiction about shield that seems more likely to be his method of research and uh kind of boned up on that those details mm -hmm. yeah could be seemed incongruous it also seemed incongruous that at one point Scorpio is just like, Nick, do this for me, when he's talking to his, his robot brother, Butler. Don't you get any ideas, Corey. <laughs> Don't you be making any robots of me to buttle for you. Those those of you out there in Radio Land, my eyebrows shot sky high <laughs> when Hub first 
issued that statement, Robot Brother Butler. That's that's why he's harassing me. You're always coming up with these business ideas, Corey. I don't I don't want to come over to your house and be greeted by me at the door saying, "Very good, sir." That is exactly how you're going to talk. Damn it. There was a fun touch that was on page 17 in the background of one of the pages we see a billboard and it is for the Jack of Hearts. That's interesting because Jack of Hearts is a character that was co-created by the artist of this, uh, Keith Giffen, and one of my favorite writers, Bill Mantlo. And it was one of those characters that both Giffen and Mantlo were fairly prolific at various points. So this character never really caught on in terms of popularity, but they would keep pushing him in their projects. And I always liked the Jack of Hearts, and I wish we saw more of him. Is he a character you were at all familiar with? I was not. I was going to ask you about that very billboard. Really? So it stuck out to you as well? Yeah, it seemed like a reference to something. There was a mini-series of it. He was atomically powered. Ver- various writers and artists have, have tried to do things with him, and it unfortunately has never really caught on with, with much of the public. But he's a very interesting-looking character. He basically looks like the Jack of Hearts from a deck of playing cards. Which character on the deck of playing cards was your favorite? Is the Jack the one with the sword? He's like holding the sword vertically. Probably. I know he's got one, like some of them have one eye, some of them don't. Because like when people would be playing poker in movies, they would say things like, all right, deuces and one-eyed Jacks are wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the Jack of Hearts is one of the ones that has one eye. Yeah, if he's like the dude with the kind of looking at you in profile holding the sword... Yeah. I thought that guy was pretty cool. Uh, as a kid, though, the Joker, I thought was, oh, sure, you know, sure. he's got one of those crazy hats and right. everything. Right, and you know, you were really into raves and snowboarding, so that hat always really spoke to you. You are giving me a, such a dirty look right now. No, I just, I didn't know that, that <laughs> either of those things had to do with those hats. You don't see dudes wearing jester hats at either of those things? I've been to one rave-like thing, and I didn't, I don't remember seeing any of those hats. Maybe they're different eras. Maybe when you were there, it was more of a cat-in-the-hat hat type of uh, rave. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a cat-in-the-hat <laughs> hat, like a Dr. Seuss hat. Yeah. And then uh, glow sticks, man. Yeah. Lots of them. Yeah, you'll see jester hats going on in those, and uh, also you'll see those in, uh, you know, certain eras of snowboarding. Okay. King of Clubs always seemed like a dick. Hmm, I can't picture him. He thinks he's so great. You look smug, at it like a smug. smug. He's smug. He's got that goatee. Uh, Just, damn, fuck that guy. I don't like smug. No. There was a guy I saw the other day where he just had that look on his face where I'm like, really? That's that's your default expression? Smug like that? Mm. Not cool. Resting smug face. Resting smug face. Don't care for it. Mm. He was a real king of clubs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if the shoe fits. Then good for you. You got a, nice to have a good fitting gotta, shoe. I got one good shoe. Yep. Uh, you ready to get into the minutia? Okay. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Let's uh talk about clothing. This was a harder issue than some to to pick out interesting clothes. There were still a couple of uh, outliers in this that were definitely worth noting, I felt like. So yeah, sartorially speaking, which instances of fashion did you find most noteworthy? I don't often do this, but I needed to actually go to the cover 
Oh. To find one. And there's a gentleman in the background who's got what I think are like bright lime green and black pinstripe pants with a white t-shirt and like a red leather Michael Jackson style jacket. You can't really tell because it's in the background. Yeah. But that's that was how I put that out. That's together. a pretty good look. And he's standing next to a guy in a fucking maroon jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was just like, man, are those guys in some kind of crazy dance crew? I think they're in a band together. Or a band. Yeah, yeah. they're probably in a funk band mm-hmm. that does mostly covers of... It's like a they pe- peaches do... and herbs. Yeah, I'm going to say that they do funk covers of vanilla fudge covers. Dang. Yeah. Dang. It's a very specific group. Whoa. They're called Panucci. What? It's a type of fudge. <laughs> oh. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. It's it, it's like a blonde fudge. Mm. So it's like, it, it's an homage to vanilla fudge. Panucci. But just for those in the know of like fudge culture. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're called Panucci. Well, I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> oh, they're really good. Yeah, their cover... It's just the two uh, guys? Or yeah, they're... it's just the two guys. They've got a keyboard and a tambourine. Of course. They do amazing funk covers. Their cover of Vanilla Fudge's cover of White Room, Chef Kiss. Chef Kiss, wow. Yeah. High praise for Panucci. Uh-huh. I like those outfits, too. Um, <laughs> for my sartorially speaking choices, I decided to revisit our old friend Tanya Belinsky. Nice hat. Yeah, she is wearing a fur mini dress and a, what are those, like, I think they're Cossack hats? But it, it's, like it's a, a big... really big one. It looks like she kind of has an ottoman on top of her head. Like a furry f- big fez. Yeah, it, I, I, it doesn't even look furry. It looks like she's wearing one that's made out of leather almost. It really does just look like a, a kind of ottoman. Look at the size of that. But yeah, she's wearing a fur mini dress with a collar and uh, getting in a cab with a bald man who has bad intentions. The other fashion instance that I really enjoyed in this was in a flashback scene, and it is Jake Fury's drinking duds. He is wearing a red turtleneck, and over it, he is wearing a bomber jacket with a fleece collar and some tan pants, and he really does look like a dude going to get a beer in the 70s. Man, that jacket lapel looks like clouds. It is amazing. It has got to be so soft. You have just got to want to roll your neck back and forth on it whenever you are wearing that thing. (laughs) Yep. It's good for your neck, too. It's a ergonomic jacket it is it is a specifically designed ergonomic jacket you know if that is a hand-me-down jacket that he got from his brother nick fury which i think it might be that would make it trickle down ergonomics <laughs> oh yeah i'm yeah. I'm putting in okay. a rim shot in there yeah you gotta what was your favorite sound effect We had some great sound effects to choose from in this issue. There were some great ones. I thought the combination of the noise that the exploding coffee maker and Hellcat's exclamation of surprise. It was a potent combination. It was. It was pretty good. I also don't think at all accurate for the noise that a pressure cooker making a shitload of coffee makes when it explodes is. Well, how many of those have you encountered? Zero. Well, there we go. So the pressure cooker says, sploop! Oosh! Because it's interrupted by a stream of 
Now, you're right. Normally, sploosh, that's the sound of the police. Right, which you have <laughs> Not, to watch out for. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but in this in this instance, it is sploosh, mm-hmm. is the sound of the uh, pressure cooker making coffee. Right. And then, yipes! Like, I would, like, it would be a very high-pitched, you know, because you're... Right. That stuff is hot. Terrifying. And you're probably going to have to clean the ceiling. I don't think she has to clean that ceiling. Oh. I think she is... Fuck that peeping Tom Kyle Richmond. I ain't cleaning that ceiling off. Yep. That fucking perv can fucking scrape his own ceiling. Although he's not going to. No. Because we've, we've already seen, seen the newspapers. He's, yeah. He, he's still letting the newspapers from a year and a half pile up on his roof. What an asshole. I he know. could pay somebody a living wage to recycle those newspapers and he just lets them pile up. Or we know that he likes to read Doonesbury. He could just go get them. I bet he's buying the bound copies as he is still paying for the newspaper subscription. He's just wasting money. And trees. I'm shaking my head. Mm. So those are my sound mm. choices. I had so many sound choices to choose from. Of course, one of them was sploosh. But in addition to the sploosh... That's the sound of the police. We also have... <laughs> splock, which is the hook taking a face plant as I, Hellcat steps on his head. That is a heck of a stomp she does. She Man. jumps over him like leapfrog style and then double feet on his back. Mm-hmm. Splock. I, I had that as a backup. We also have the sound of one of Moon Knight's crescent darts ineffectually bouncing off of the Hulk, making the noise, boink! Which I almost had, but it didn't start with a D. And I think that the noise, doink, is a really funny Uh, sound. Yeah, I I get that. But poink, also pretty good. It's more metallic, I guess. Yeah, and also poink has the benefit of never having been the name of a uh, evil clown-themed professional wrestler. Doink. There was Doink the Clown and his little person sidekick, Dink the Clown. (laughs) The one that I think I have to go with, though, is Foom. And yes, it is a sound effect that we have had before. And I have chosen it before because it reminded me of the Friends of Old Marvel fan group. Mm -hmm. But this issue, I think it gets the nod because they really hung a lampshade on it. There is, as a portion of the avalanche of asterisks, after it says Foom, there is an asterisk explaining to us that a strong subliminal plug for Marveldom's favorite fan mag from sly old Dave the Dude. And uh, we see a couple pages later, there is an ad for Foom, the fan magazine for the Friends of Old Marvel. Mm. And so... Just that uh, extra lampshade that is hung on that sound effect, put it over the top for me, uh, giving it the edge over Poink and Splunk. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best in the same way that you would like a pie were it not made out of steel? There was a good kind of double metaphor Mm -hmm. in this one from Hellcat that Ah. I liked quite a lot. Which I like to think of as a double animal reference, but I know it's not. But what she says to her comrades is, clam up and cock your ears. Ha! That would be a terrible fight. Yep. <laughs> Boring. Clam and a rooster. Boring. Yeah. I mean, I get the idea you want to pit offense against defense, but that level of a strong defense makes for a very boring fight. Nope. You just need to get a otter and some, some rocks in there, and then that'll just mess the whole thing up. 
Yeah, yeah, I thought you were saying we should put an otter against a uh, rooster. No, the otter will just, like, run away otter, and well, swim off. Oh, no, man, the otter would destroy the rooster. I don't think Otters they're... are dick. They are the mustachioed dicks of the sea. But they're not into bird fights. No, but they would fuck a bird up. If the bird was trying to take the Wait, 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 I'm sorry, are we talking sea otters or river otters? Oh, it's like more estuarial, so a mix of the two. Oh. I don't know. Is that I which, mean, that which might be a better out there? fight. There was recently an otter who died from the Oregon Zoo who was definitely living his best life. This was an otter who was famous for slam dunking tiny basketballs and auto fellatio. And that was how he was eulogized. And I cannot imagine <laughs> a better way to be remembered. Now, if the headline to your eulogy is Oregon Zoo Otter, known for slam dunking and self-pleasuring, dies at age 20, you have lived a good life. Damn. Eddie was considered one of the oldest and most talented sea otters on the planet. Eddie's keepers taught the aging otter to dunk a toy basketball as therapy for his arthritic elbow joints. His skills at the hoop made him an internet sensation. But as visitors to the zoo might remember, Eddie had other interesting skills. He could sometimes be observed creatively pleasuring himself, proving the animal kingdom is full of unique learning experiences. Well, the zoo has other otters, an Oregon Zoo spokesperson confirmed Thursday, yes, that was Eddie, who displayed so much confidence in front of zoo guests. Many Oregon Zoo guests will remember Eddie for his fascinating talents. While the zoo still has two sea otters, Lincoln and Juno, the otter takes won't be the same without Eddie. R.I.P. Eddie. R.I.P. Eddie. 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 So, my pie not made out of steel <laughs> was something that, bizarrely enough, was said by Jack Norris. What? Scorpio says, I've spent seven years in seclusion studying the stars and devoting myself solely to my secret project. Jack Norris response? So what? Either spit or get off the spot. Yeah, that was a weird one. It is weird that generally I have only heard as the phrase shit or get off the pot. Same here. And it is weird seeing that cleaned up and put in a comic. Spit or get off the spot. Yeah. Is there a spitting spot? Like maybe they are on a bridge in this metaphor? And you're supposed have, to spit off that they, bridge. They don't have this. But maybe you just can't work up a good mouth of saliva. It doesn't work that way. There's no spitting spots. Well. Unless there's a competition. Maybe there's a spitting competition. Yeah. Then you have to like stand behind oh, a line. Yeah. Like it's watermelon seeds. Spit or get off the spot. It's probably an yeah. old watermelon It's probably an old seed watermelon spitting seed spitting competition. Metaphor. Yeah. Very common phrase in the competitive watermelon seed spitting community. The other one they uh, cleaned up that we were thinking about a while back was he's got them by the short ones. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. So spit or get off the spot mm -hmm. or they've got you by the short ones. And that would be the uh, you're only going to be good at short distant watermelon seed spitting. Well, naturally. Right. That's more the freestyle where it's based more on style 
than it is on distance mm -hmm. for the seed spinning. Like what kind of uh, seed spinning grouping and formation you have. Yeah. That would be, they're, they're going to beat you in the short competition. They've got you by the short ones. So it's time to spit or get off the spot. Yeah, that's the full best words. <laughs> yep. That's my pie not made out of steel. All right. Way to get off the spot. Whew. Well, it was time to spit. Every issue of a Defenders comic has a worst offender and a best defender. In this issue, who was the worst offender? Oh, it pains me to say this, but it was Val. Yeah, I had the same one. Hulk was enjoying that turkey or whatever it was, and she just kicked him right in the butt. Right in the butt. That was so uncool. And she kicked him real hard. It broke the chair. It broke the chair, and it made Moon Knight exclaim that even at the height of the full moon, he would not be powerful enough to... No, that was a different thing. Never mind. That was when she tore the tire off a car and threw it at the Hulk. At the Hulk. Which also, that's somebody's car. I th I really think it is that, that abridged copy of that self-help book that screwed oh, it all up. That never read Steve Stephen Strange. Strange's self-help books. Wait, he has self-help books? Well, that he's he's oh, annotated. That he's okay. That he's he's read and just been like, these won't make people more like me. They're clearly broken. I'll fix them. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she did, but nonetheless, Steve's not in here, so we can't. No. Ding him. No. And so she she didn't have to take his advice. She has seen the result of the help that Steve Strange has to offer himself. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you don't want to be a Stephen Strange. No, this one's enough. Yeah. It's like Jackie Chan said. You should not try to be like Jackie. There is only one Jackie Chan. You should study computers. Mm-hmm. Val should have studied computers, but instead she tried to be like Steve Strange. Always a mistake. Yep. Hopefully next issue she'll be back to her more Hulk-friendly self. Yes. Or she will be studying computers. Conversely, who was the best defender? Well, nobody really did, like, a, a bang-out stand-up job in this story yeah nobody there was stood up one or character. banged it out well they were all standing up but nobody was really banging it out no they weren't it's a that's not a pie made out of steel i went with the hulk because yeah. he ate a turkey he did eat a turkey he was doing his best to we're gonna get into it in the hulk's rules but he was doing his best to do what i think everybody should do every now and then which is you know just to Take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And he also, when the going got hot, stayed true to who he is as a Hulk. Mm. I had a couple to choose from. If we could have confirmation that this was a Lyndon LaRouche picnic that he was ruining, <laughs> I would absolutely give it to the Hulk, but we just there's don't no way, know. There's no way we to know. just can't confirm it. Nobody knows. So I had a couple to choose from. I almost went with Clea because despite the fact, not her problem anymore, she still decided to lend a hand and to uh, help facilitate the thwarting of evil, despite the fact that these people just left her house yesterday. Fed. And she's still having to deal with their nonsense. Yep. Stabled and fed the air horse. Uh-huh. But I decided to go with Moon Knight because Moon Knight was put in a very difficult position. He knew that Val's plan was bad and shitty. But it was his job to try to make it work, and he did his best. And I can really appreciate that. It's a position that I've been put that's in before. Not, I was just going to say, that sounds like daily life. Yeah, it is. But he did it. Like, he was put in the classic middle management conundrum. <laughs> he is not the one making this decision, but he still has to take responsibility for it. And 
make it work as best he can, despite it's something that he does not want to do. And uh, when the Hulk was attacking them and they were stuck in the tunnel, he's like, I didn't want to do this plan. I knew it was a bad plan. I said it was a bad plan at every step of the way. But here I am. I'm having to deal with the results of this decision. So I'm going to try to mitigate the damage. I'm going to call Frenchie and have him fly erratically, get us out of this tunnel. We're going to climb on my helicopter. I'm still not letting you inside because you've been associating with Jack Norris too closely. So you're not getting in the helicopter, but we can all ride on the rope ladder together. This Hulk plan is bad, but I'm going to do my best to make it work. And he did. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. This echoes back to a job that I had for many years at a big corporation, had one of their corporate like kind of slogans for the workers was disagree and commit. Oh. And it's exactly what Moon Knight had to do yes, in this situation. It really is. Man, having that that, that's that like, is just that's like, demoralizing. That's like your marching orders. That is <laughs> abandon all hope ye who enter beyond this point. Pretty much. Ah, I'm sorry, dude. It's okay. It's over. Huzzah! Huzzah! Every issue of a Defender's comic book has a sucka, a character who acts contrary to their previously established character or motivation in a way that furthers the plot. In this issue, was yours Valkyrie? I couldn't think of anyone else. Yep, it was Valkyrie, and we've already discussed the reasons. Yep. Eddie. To Eddie. He's up blowing himself in heaven. He's slam dunking on Jesus and blowing himself in heaven. <laughs> That's an otter's dream. Man, he is putting Jesus on a poster. Oh. <laughs> Hub is cracking himself up so bad, you guys, right now. Are you familiar See with what? the phrase, putting him on a poster? Uh-uh. It's a, it's a basketball term where, like, when you slam dunk on somebody in such a disrespectful way that they are likely to make one of those posters like you'd see in Red Shoe Barn out of it. Oh. I just love that phrase. Like, but I love the idea of <laughs> Eddie the Otter putting Jesus Jesus on a poster. Oh my goodness. Corey, what was your favorite panel? Like you said, the artwork in this book was great. I had a couple choices. One is on page 11. And it's a close-up of Hulk. Oh, is it the teeth panel? No, no, no. This is a a close-up of him, like, really zooming in on on his eye. And uh, he's saying, Food is good. Hulk is glad Hulk decided to have fun today, to do something besides fight. And then he burps. But it's a really tight close-up on his face, and he looks as thoughtful as I have seen the Emerald Giant look. Maybe to date. He really does. And in that and the panel that precedes it where he is sitting in front of the turkey with a tiny fork in his giant hand, those are very, very Jack Kirby looking panels. And they're really, really well done. I liked both of those a lot. I liked those a lot. I think that one might be my favorite. My backup was on page six and I call it the Jack Whack. <laughs> and that is this isn't an Eddie the Otter situation, is no, it? No, 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 no. It's a uh, it's Scorpio backhanding Jack Norris so hard that his body <laughs> is literally parallel with the floor, and um, he's just yeah knocked him sideways. It was satisfying. Yeah, no, I agree. I had a couple to choose from. As I said, I I really did like the art in this issue a lot. The ones that have come down to for me are, in terms of it just being a funny panel, is the Zodiac Key falling from the sky and hitting a drunkard on the head. I really enjoy that panel. It's funny, but it's so implausible. (laughs) How do you figure? 
of everything that we've had in these books. The way I'm so mad at the way that Scorpio got that key. But I love, I love it. On page three, there is a panel where Scorpio is explaining that there used to be another dude named Scorpio that I think appeared only in the first issue of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but it is a profile of Jake Fury Scorpio, and his shadow is an image of that Scorpio, and it is just really, really well done. But, and it feels like cheating to use the opening splash page, but when I first saw it, it made me so happy, and I thought it was Jack Kirby for a second, and it is... A Jack Kirby-looking Moon Knight gliding through the air. He looks like he has stepped out of a New Gods comic, and it is great. It is awesome. His cape is furled behind him, and then the subtitle of the issue, Rampage, is fitted into the top of the curve of Mm -hmm. his cape. It is a really, really cool It's a beveled title around the cape furl. And, yeah, the shadowing and the inks on that are so good. And it made me so happy when I saw it. So that is definitely my favorite panel. Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? I believe this is going to be a repeat of one of my past Hulk's rules. But as uh, Tom Hoverford from Parks and Rec stated, you got to treat yourself. Mm. And, and that was his thing in this issue. He said it in the last book. In this one, he really attempted to do his best to have like a, like a me day where he's like, you got to take care of yourself and do things for yourself. Steal a turkey, eat a turkey, watch some Jabberjaws, which exists, watch some Funky Phantom, which exists, Mm -hmm. watch some Speed Buggy, which exists, and then watch some Yogi Bear and emulate that bear. Steal a picnic. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. He tries his best. He does. Treat yourself thwarted by Val, who is being a sucker, but he does his best. Cold. Mm. My lesson that I think that the Hulk learned from this issue is if you're making coffee for two people, just use a French press. Just use a French press. How is that the Hulk's rule? His takeaway is is the Hulk (laughs) sees what happens to Hellcat. He sees why Val... And Hellcat are in such a shitty mood and are being so rude to him, it's because they didn't have their coffee. And he knows that when you are making coffee for just two people, use a French press. You use a 12 to 1 coffee to water ratio. The door. Use a coarse ground. The loophole that you're opening here. And the ramifications of this. You let it steep for four minutes before pushing the plunger down. You make fine coffee. The Hulk knows this. Are you the sure? Hulk knows this. Are you sure this is how we want to go forward? The Hulk makes a great cup of coffee, and he knows <laughs> we can, that when you are making coffee for two people, just use a French press. We can say whatever we want about yes. anything that happens yes. that other people in the comic did for the Hulk's rules based on this. Yes. Okay. So, and that, treat, treat yourself. Treat yourself. And if you're making coffee for two people, just use a French press. Use a coarse ground. 12 to 1 ratio of coffee to hot water. Let it steep for four minutes before depressing the plunger. Four minutes. And that's the Hulk's rules. Corey. Yep. What is this issue's wong shot? Oh. In the year of our Lord, 1977, and the month of our Lord, July, 
What was Wong doing? Wong doings indeed. There were some of them afoot mm. in the power management business oh. on the eastern seaboard from the 13th to uh, 14th or 15th or so of, of July 1977 was the New York City blackout. Oh. Which affected pretty much everything uh, with the exception of some parts of uh, Queens. So normally, you know, Steve and Wong are kind of doing their own things in the evening. Steve's off watching his little flame ghosts or whatever. And <laughs> uh, But there is this ritual after after dinner where they'd sit down and they'd watch the news together. And they're like, oh, well, shit, the power's out. We can't do this. So we'll have to go to Queens. And they're going around trying to find a place to hang out and watch the news together. And uh, it turned out there was a, a little bar that they found and, and there was some music going on. And they're like, oh, let's check this out. And they went and they just basically ended up catching a, a set of, uh, the, you know, the surprise show that the Ramones had played. Oh, and got to hang out with them a little bit. They thought Steve was an asshole and things didn't end very well. But in terms of a power outage, like, for things to fall that the way they did, Wong took that as a, you know, this was a good evening. Like, I got to watch Steve get yelled at by these guys from Queens and had a few drinks. We went home, power came back on. Next day, everything was okay. That's a, that's a pretty interesting evening that Wong and Steve had. I'm pretty sure that power outage was the one that was responsible for a lot of the hip-hop explosion. It was pretty soon after uh, DJ Cool Herc had done one of his more popular outdoor parties, and then there was the big blackout, during which there was a lot of looting, and that was where a lot of burgeoning DJs got their scratching equipment. Oh. And so th that blackout is actually pretty formative in the birth of hip-hop. Yeah, and so I think the fact that Wong, you know, by extension, took Steve to see the Ramones at this bar helped Steve from doing his do-gooder, we've got to stop these looters and fire oh. thing. So you could really say in some ways Wong is in part responsible for the birth of hip-hop on a large scale. You really could say that. Well done. Likewise. Well, being partially responsible for the explosion of hip-hop in New York in 1977 isn't all that Wong was up to. Because in addition to that, as I believe we've established, Wong's a pretty big tennis fan. <laughs> and like all right-thinking people, he recognized that Jimmy Connors is a fucking asshole. So he was watching the Wimbledon finals on July 2nd of 1977, in which Bjorn Borg was playing Jimmy Connors, and he knew he shouldn't do it. But... He just hated Jimmy Connors so much because Jimmy Connors is such an asshole that he decided he was going to maybe go into Jimmy Connors' head and maybe fuck with him a little and get him to lose the match. So he went in there, and what he found surprised the shit out of him. What did he find? Well, first of all, he found some horrible things that Jimmy Connors was thinking. Because Jimmy Connors, I don't know if I've mentioned this, is an asshole. Mm. But just below the surface of that, and when he was done just being horrified at the things that he was finding, he also found that he was not the first person who had been inside Jimmy Connors' mind. What? Jimmy Connors was a sleeper agent for the CIA. And to undermine national security for much of Scandinavia, he had been programmed to assassinate Bjorn Borg. What? Now, Wong was able to undo that. And so all that happened in that match was that uh, Bjorn Borg beat Jimmy Connors. 
Which, hooray. But he was pretty disturbed to find that the CIA was up to that shit. So he started making some phone calls and started taking advantage of the Freedom of Information Act. And a couple of weeks later, due to his research and stick-to-itiveness, it was revealed through the Freedom of Information Act that the CIA had been, in fact, engaging in clandestine attempts at mind control. And that came out on July 20th. And uh, that is the Wong shot of the Wong doings of July 1977. Dang. I'm glad you were able to use that. I, I couldn't figure out a way. Like, the mind control thing was my favorite thing that I read for that. Uh, well, the Rosetta Stone to that issue, as it is for so many things, is that Jimmy Connors is an asshole. I'm not a tennis person. I don't know who that is, mm. but I'll take your word for it. I just hate Jimmy Connors. Sounds like an asshole. Yeah, he's no Mott's Vlander, I'll tell you that much. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, listeners. We received some more fan art that I absolutely loved that was of Corey and I going undercover as agents of Hive. Um, I will repost that on Twitter because uh, you guys should see that. Um, I uh, the, the name of the artist eludes me right now because uh, we drank some mystery liquor. But rest assured, I did love that artwork and I will share it again. And you should check the Twitter feed for that. And that's a good reminder in general that, uh, yeah, check out our Twitter feed. Uh, I always post links to the show on there and whatever other weird thoughts I'm thinking when I'm trying to avoid writing the show. You can also, if you would like to get into touch with us, please do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever program you're using to listen to the show that you're listening to right now, as I'm reminding you of these things. I'm forming a weird Ouroboros, and I'm kind of freaking myself out right now. But uh, yeah, leave us a review there. We're also on Instagram. Uh, that's a site that Lisa runs. So thanks for doing that, Lisa. And if you would like to hear more of what Lisa has to say, then... I got an idea. Why don't you donate to us on Patreon.com? Because then we'll have some money. And you will also, if you do, get access to the monthly show that Lisa and I do called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. A monthly show that we do about Howard the Duck comics. So yeah, do that. Look for us all of those places. And if you can't find us there, well, there's one more place you can look. Inside your heart. Because we'll be there. We're always there. We always have been there. Waving at you, holding a picket sign, drinking some mystery liquor that I found in a lost and found. Which is not an activity I would necessarily recommend. It could also be a name brand liquor. <laughs> it could be. If you would just send us some. That's all you need to name do. Name brand liquor companies. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And I'd like to remind you once again to catch the wave of the future with us and hang 10 on it. Cowabunga. Bye. And they knew it. Spider-Man and Madam Web. <laughs> Newspaper headline. City in panic. Webhead accused of tangled harbor in his web. Everyone thinks I'm to blame. I'm tired of running from the cops, but I must get through it and save this harbor.
I loved Spider-Man, but he rejected me. Me, Madam Web. So my revenge? I'll make everyone blame him for tangling the harbor. Thought Bubble. Madam Web, that loved crazed fiend. Spider-Man, my only love. Come with me and let's run away. Well, what if I gave you a whole bunch of delicious liquor of found in a lost and found instead? Would that clear the harbors and my good name? Oh, delicious flask filled with mystery liquor. For that, I'd clear up the whole ocean, the world, anything. Later, as she is being taken to prison. First I lose Spider-Man, then a flask of liquor that Hub found in a lost and found. What a tangled web. She is such a loyal admirer of mine. Yay, Yay Spider-Man! Spider Yay, liquor! Hub found in a flask in a lost and found. You get a big delight in every drink of liquor hub found in a flask in a lost and found.